my zebras what's up it's rob z radio Uh, this is an interesting episode because i'm going to be throwing back to an episode that i I did a while ago and kind of presenting it again for this episode because uh first of all for legal reasons about 230 episodes of my podcast had to be deleted i'm not going to go into those details now i probably will in the future but not going to do that right now so i'm reaching back into the archive because i have all those old episodes saved i'm going back to technically episode 152 but i'll consider this a new episode because uh, this episode that i did a while ago this was recorded on january 29th of 2016 okay and it was called rick flair Lessons to live by from the nature boy. Woo! You get what I'm saying? Ric Flair, maybe the greatest professional wrestler of all time. If you're a wrestling fan, uh, of course you know that Ric Flair is in critical condition right now after a surgery. I don't know if he's going to pass away. I don't know what's going to happen with him. But I was just reading news about him. I'm getting a little worked up, getting a little upset because... I've always loved the Nature Boy, and it dawned on me, wait a minute, Rob, you did an episode about Ric Flair a long time ago. It had to be deleted, but you have it saved in the archive, Uh, so I'm going to unearth this episode for you right now. We'll present it as new, and I'm going to present it to you in its entirety as I recorded it back on January 29th of 2016, so it's kind of just building an example as to why Ric Flair... Um, you know, as a as a character, as a human being, as somebody uh, to live your life by. Obviously, you don't want to mimic everything the guy did, but he did some amazing things. I should say he does amazing things because he's technically still alive right now. I'm not sure what's going to happen to him, but as of this recording right now on August 15th, 2017, the Nature Boy's struggling. He's fighting, and um, he's always been a hero of mine. So here we go in its entirety. Ric Flair, lessons to live by. Woo! Episode. This is Rob Z Radio. Oh, yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen. We have arrived. Styling and profiling, limousine riding, jet flying, diamond ring wearing. You see these alligators on my feet? You know I'm the nature boy, Ric Flair, right? You be the man! You've gotta beat the man! Why not let the best do what he does? Hopefully that doesn't get this podcast pulled. If it does, that's ridiculous, because understand that this podcast is in tribute to one of the greatest men to ever live. One of the the greatest American heroes in the history of American heroes. <laughs> Are you rolling your eyes at that one? If you're not a wrestling fan and you've tuned into this podcast, you might be blown away by that statement. If you are a wrestling fan, I think you know what I'm talking about. Because when you bring up the name Nature Boy Ric Flair, when you bring up Ric Flair, when you bring up the Four Horsemen, when you bring up styling and profiling and getting the ladies and you know, Space Mountain, all of these things go one and the same. Greatest world champion of all time. If you're a wrestling fan, you know what I'm talking about. And if you're some for some reason listening to this not a wrestling fan and you don't know who Ric Flair is and you think this might be ridiculous, maybe you do know who Ric Flair is. And that makes it even more ridiculous, the words that are going to come out of my mouth in this podcast. Understand that this is one of those guys who changed the world around him. 
he created the world in the image that he wanted, okay? And I think as a human being, there's no bigger accomplishment you can do than to have the power to be able to do that. Now, let me explain to you why this is such a monumental thing for this man to have done and why you can find somebody in the world, the crazy, abstract world of professional wrestling, you can find a lot of purpose from this guy's story, from the things that he's done. Just like I did a podcast about respecting Lil Wayne. You might not like rap music. You might not like Lil Wayne. You might think that he's a drug addict. You might think that he's a terrible person. I don't know what you think about him. But if you listen to the things that he's done and you think about applying that to your life, just the concepts of the things that he's done, you'll change your life too. And then you have a different, you start to develop a different outlook towards these people. So let me explain. Ric Flair, the man is currently 66 years old. Ric Flair, the man, started his wrestling wrestling career in 1972. That's 43 years ago. This guy has spent 43 years of his life in a wrestling ring. This guy has spent 43 years of his life honing this craft, right? And I'm not saying that he's wrestling right now because he's not. And it's a good thing. He's too old. But the, the thing about it is he never swayed from that charisma that he had, except for maybe a couple of years in WCW in the 90s, which were uh, uneventful and and pretty sad. But I'm going to get to that. But this man, for 43, 42, yeah, 43 years of his life, dedicated his life 100% to professional wrestling. Now, understand that a lot of us do not want to aspire to the career of professional wrestling. I myself, as a lifelong wrestling fan, do not aspire to be a professional wrestler, especially in this man's day, the work that he put in, Ric Flair, day in and day out. Almost 365 days a year was on the road wrestling, putting on shows, amazing, wowing people, blowing audiences away, showing great athletic skill, feats of athletic ability with what this man did. Theatrics that, that, that you know are comparable to any theatrics you see in an opera or a play anywhere in the world, Cirque du Soleil, anything like that, and I, you know what, you might think that's crazy, I don't think that is far from the truth in any way, shape, or form, especially if you would have been a part of Ric Flair's peak in the 70s, now I can't say that I was a part of that, right, I've watched the matches, I've heard people talk of it, I've heard from spectators in the crowd, people like Mark Madden, who used to go to his matches and just say how magical and incredible they were, I've heard from Ric Flair himself and the stories he has told, I've seen the the videos, I've seen the legacy of this dude, even before he ever made it to WCW, to WWF, to WWE, he already had changed his world into the image that he wanted. The lessons to be learned from the nature boy, Ric Flair. To be the greatest, you must sacrifice. And in his case, you pretty much have to sacrifice everything but being the greatest at what you are the greatest at. Nobody can ever again, I don't think, do what Ric Flair did, especially in the world of professional wrestling. It'll never be done again. That's my personal opinion, but I think it'll take many decades for it to ever happen, even if it does. But Ric Flair was the guy, and I, I know all this information, right, because I'm a lifelong wrestling fan. Let me just first back it up with this. I've listened to every podcast that Ric Flair has done with, like, uh, 
the likes of his wrestling elite, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin, they have some great ones together. And this podcast was sparked from that, one of Stone Cold's latest episodes with Ric Flair, I believe. It was the one that was on the WWE Network, uh, but I listened to it via Stone Cold's podcast. And I've, you know, as a lifelong wrestling fan, Ric Flair's been always one of those guys that I have loved. He's one of the guys that I always put right at the top of the food chain, right at the top of the chart, because that's where he deserves to be. Now, Ric Flair taking you back all of those very many years ago, never thought, I doubt, right? And in listening to him talk and listening to the stories that he tells and the way that he his career went, he didn't think at the beginning, hey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to be the greatest that ever did it. I'm going to be the greatest to ever grace the presence of this squared circle, this professional wrestling ring. But somewhere along the line, he achieved greatness. And just like anybody else who's great, You don't become great until you are great. And once you are great, you don't necessarily think day to day, well, this is going to make me the greatest ever. You're working because you love what you're doing. Now, Ric Flair said he saw his kids maybe seven to ten times a year back when he was in the NWA days, when he was flying all over the world, all over the United States and Japan. Now, be known, like, this man was world champion and wrestled night after night after night in a different town all of the time hour-long Broadway matches, and people would renown matches that he has had with Dusty Rhodes, with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, with Sting. Uh, There's matches throughout his career that will stand the test of time. Even with Shawn Michaels up at the end of his career, they will stand the test of time because this guy put his life into one thing. Now, personally for me, and you can hear whenever Rick talks about it now, it's sad that he didn't get to see his kids. It's sad that he didn't get to spend that much time with them. And you know, that's that's neither here nor there. That's not the point of the story. I do not factor any of that in because I'm only taking out the good things that I find, the great things that make you great from the nature boy Ric Flair. He should be on a list of the greatest men to ever live. Up there with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Up there with uh, Napoleon. You know, <laughs> the list would be crazy if you had me break down a list. But Ric Flair, seven days to 10 days home a year on the road constantly sacrificing and working for something that he truly truly loved this is something that was inside of him why sacrifice and this is something that rick flair said you know what am i sacrificing for if i'm only home seven to ten days a year and i'm not the number one man in this industry then what am I doing? I need to be number one. And when he said that, and I, that was on Stone Cold's latest podcast. I think that was maybe 289. When he said that line, that sparked this podcast for me because it was like, listen, listen to what this guy's saying. You know, if you're going to sacrifice and everybody who's a professional wrestler sacrifices, you and your career, if you are pushing yourself, you're sacrificing. Me right here doing this podcast I'm not getting paid for this. This is not a part of my daily nine-to-five job. But I'm doing it because I'm sacrificing because I love it. So there's got to be that love there, like the, the, the passion for the thing that you are doing. And if you can recognize that, then the sacrifice becomes a whole lot easier. As you're sacrificing... Why would you ever want to be the second dude? Why would you ever want to be in that second spot? Maybe this little bit extra each day, this little extra thing you do can push you to be the best ever. And I love when Rick said that. He's like, well, if I'm going to be sacrificing seven to ten days a year, only being home, I'm on the road, I'm working, I'm 
working out every day. I'm partying every night because that's what the Nature Boy did. That's that, that was the the legend of Ric Flair. Go in there and put on the greatest match you've ever seen, and then go party all night long, drive to another town, and do it again. He was he's inhuman, really. I mean, the guy is an unbelievable marvel of the human body, and just the perseverance and, and the power of somebody who is just deeply, deeply passionate about what he does to the point where nothing else in his life really seems to even matter. You know, those other things all come second, and I think that's awesome. The fact that he had kids and he didn't spend a whole lot of time with them, that's a bummer, yes. And in my personal stance, I would never do that. But this was a different time, a different person. And like I said, I'm only here to revel in this man's amazingness. So Ric Flair was in a very, very bad plane accident that nearly killed him and everybody in the plane. This was uh, October 4th, I believe, of 1975. Now, think about that. Ric Flair had been in wrestling for just a handful of years. He had been a professional wrestler for just a handful of years, had a broken back. The doctor told him he should never wrestle again, or he will never wrestle again, you know, risking paralysis. Was out of action for eight months, came back, and kept going. Like, not even a thought in his mind. He said he was wearing a back brace, and uh, I guess he went to, uh, you know, maybe to a wrestling backstage at a show, maybe to do an interview or uh, something, you know, in front of the crowd, but not wrestling, obviously, with a back brace on. And uh, somebody told him, I forget, Greg Gagne, or somebody told him that, uh, or Vern Gagne, I mean, uh, told him that he should not be wearing the back brace because that's going to mess him up and make everything else in his body atrophy, and it's going to ruin him. So he abandoned the back brace. He fought through it, wrestled through it, trained through it, did everything, came back, put all of his muscle back on, plus more, became the world champion in NWA, had a storied career, most famous wrestler in the world before the territories were all bought up by Vince McMahon. This guy, who does that? Who comes back from a crippling back injury, ignores what his doctors say, eight months later is back in the ring wrestling after wrecking in an airplane at over 200 miles per hour crashing into the ground. Everybody else in the plane is either dead, one person died, the pilot, the rest of them paralyzed, never able to wrestle again. At that moment, how many of us, if we were in a physical uh, way of life, you know, MMA fighters, might try to come back as well? Like You think about these situations, that would be a life-changing event. You know, you would think that would be something that would end your career. You would change your path, whatever you were planning on doing. You broke your back... In an airplane accident. This is risky. But he had only just begun his career at this point in time. You know, quite literally. He had only been in the business of professional wrestling for a couple of years at that point. When he's in a horrific plane accident where everybody else in the airplane never wrestles again. I think he was in there with uh, three or four different wrestlers. And the pilot dies and he's paralyzed. His back is, not paralyzed, but his back is broken. He's all messed up. And that was in 1975. The guy wrestled in 2005. Hell, the guy probably took a bump, which a bump means in wrestling terms, falling down on the mat somehow in the ring. He probably took a bump in 2015 somewhere. He's still doing it. He's amazing as far as humans go. 
And I think when I look at Ric Flair, it seems to me that it's the work hard, play harder mindset that kept him going. And I'm only assuming this from everything that I've listened to about him, about how much he loved being who he was, about how much he lived the gimmick, which means living the character, the person, the the persona that he put on when he went to the squared circle, Ric Flair, the nature boy, the robes, the watches, the shoes, the 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 outfits, you know, four or five piece suit, just looking dapper, the hair, just the style. One thing that was always kind of messed up was his teeth, which is funny because before, I don't know, what, like 1999, when did teeth all of a sudden become a huge thing? Because back then, Ric Flair's teeth were all messed up, and nobody cared about that. And he's a real bad lisp, too, and that's something that I've always loved about Ric Flair because for me, I've always had a lisp. And it's, hor- it's horrible that the word lisp brings out your lisp but I guess that's the point of it. But he always had a bad lisp, and, you know, man, they always associate, like, you have a lisp with being kind of, uh, you know, soft. It makes you an easy target. It makes you, uh, yeah, you know, not as tough. And uh, he proved the opposite of that, one million percent, right? He was this dude who lived the character. He worked so hard at that character. He talks about how... He went and bought a limousine in like 1985 and had, he paid people at each arena to to ride, to drive him and his boys, maybe the four horsemen or whoever he was with at the time, from city to city. And a limousine paid $10,000 for it. That's pimp, you know? That's swagger. And that also is a a business sense, a life sense that uh, obviously nobody else had. And people would think of that as arrogant, as boastful, as an overload of confidence. When you back up, or when you have the skills, and you display the ability to prove that you deserve to have that arrogance, then it's no longer arrogance. It's then confidence. It's then being assured in who you are. And the more you do that, the more confident you get. And the more confident you get, the more you do that until you're just the man and nobody can touch you and nobody could touch Ric Flair uh, until uh, it was somewhere around him coming back or him leaving WCW. And I, it was Jim Hurd was running WCW at this point. It was in the 90s, uh, maybe early, mid-90s. I'm not sure if this was before or after the run with WWF. I imagine it was before because then he, would, he went to WWF to do his thing for a few years. Yeah, because he had cut his hair. So this guy, Jim Hurd, Ric Flair, you know, from 1975, the plane wreck, he continues wrestling, grows into this megastar. Uh, every territory that he would go to, which professional wrestling back in the day, it was all territories. Each city or area had their own federation on close circuit television and that was their federation and you would travel the nwa if you were in the nwa you would travel territory to territory defending your world title in these territories in these small towns so rick flair would do that and that's where he mastered this ritual it's kind of uh, match style okay now this was good back in the territory days and if you're not a wrestling fan this might be hard to understand but follow me here in the territory days uh you would not be seen by everybody nationwide ever because they were territories. There wasn't nationwide television programming. So you could wrestle one-hour classics in every town and do the same match. Now, Ric Flair was one of those guys. He didn't plan things out. He would call it in the ring. He was a true artist, artiste in the ring. And I, I think a lot of people lose that with wrestling. They don't recognize the art form. They think of it as this goofy-ass, 
men in tights beating each other up pretending to it's like it's it's weird if you look at it like that it doesn't make a whole lot of sense but look at it and this is the way I, I look at it it's an art it's an art form to be able to go in that ring and put on a wrestling match when people in the audience today they know it's not real back in the day back in the 70s a lot of people thought it was still real there was a lot of back and forth a lot of conversation is it real is it fake and some people totally just were 100% sold on it being real. Some were 100% sold on it being fake, but there was no proof back then because they had this thing called kayfabe where nobody would ever break kayfabe and reveal to the fans that it was all a sham. Not saying that it is a sham. That's what I'm getting at here. Uh, But now today with the internet, uh, it's blown the doors wide open. Kayfabe can't live anymore. The walls have fallen down, and we know what it is. But back then, it was very much kayfabe. People were not sure what they were getting. So to be able to go in that ring and put on this physical spectacle between two men or four men if it was a tag team match, and women were involved too, but I mean, for the most part, especially back then, it was all guys in the ring. And I think that people have lost the respect for that art. And there's an art there in losing yourself in a match. And if somebody can make you forget that it's not real for a match, there, there it is. They can make you forget that it's not real for a moment. Or even if you know that it's uh, pre-planned and, 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 you know, and these guys aren't actually at each other's throats, if you can get somebody to appreciate that, to react to that, to have a passion for that while still knowing or holding out doubt that it's not real, then you've done your job. If you're the guy who comes out and can get on that microphone and can say whatever he needs to say or say whatever he thinks and get it out there confidently and not just scream, but project to the crowd that you are this person, then you've done your job as a professional wrestler because you're looking at this thing. It is an art form. It's described incorrectly. And when they would call it professional wrestling, I kind of like that it is now uh, sports entertainment does make more sense to me than professional wrestling because professional wrestling, you think, would be uh, you know, Greco-Roman wrestling done professionally, but that's not what it is. Sports entertainment makes more sense. It's an entertainment form of sports. Like, it is a sport in the sense that these guys are uh, competing against one another, but it is predetermined and it also is made primarily for entertainment, you know, as a show, as something, an art form, something for you to admire and watch and enjoy and get lost in. And I like the idea of what pro wrestling stands for more, though, than the the idea of sports entertainment that Vince McMahon has created. Professional wrestling speaks of the in the ring, these the ability these men had to go out there and like Ric Flair did, put on one hour matches. Now you think that your job or your career, whatever it is that you do, can you go out in what you do and inspire people? Do you go out there and change people's minds? Do you go out there and leave people in disbelief, leave people yelling in the stands, screaming, wanting your head, wanting you dead because you broke Dusty Rhodes' leg with the four horsemen in the ring? If you can inspire that in your job, then you're on Ric Flair level. Your career is moving up and it's doing the right thing. If you are doing that 10, 20, 30 years into your career and people were calling you the greatest of all time, then you're on Ric Flair level. But Ric Flair is one of those guys that suspended the disbelief, that won people over, that would go town to town to town. When I talk about ritual, he has a certain match type. Ric Flair, when he works a match, you'll see the same moves 
around the same time, in the same manner, maybe flipped around a little bit. And that, I think, comes from the territory days when somebody could not see your match every single night. They didn't know what you did, so you were able to get away with that. Now, today, you know, it's like somebody like Louis C.K. comes out and says, like, everybody's seen it. You, you put it on a special, it's on television, people have seen it all over the world, you've got to switch. But back then, I think Ric Flair really was a part of the ritualistic um, keeping what he did at its core, he would do, I forget how many push-ups a day, like two to 500. He'd do like 500 free squats when he woke up. And he said he didn't really hit the gym that much. He did free squats and he did push-ups. And I imagine he did hit the gym uh, often, but th- that was his core thing. And he would go in the ring and he'd put on these hour-long matches with people. You know, setting the standards for professional wrestling before it was mainstream nationwide on, on television, before Hulk Hogan came in with the theatrics of the WWF. Not saying that I didn't like Hogan and I didn't respect what he did back in the day. I did, but you put those two on paper next to each other. Flair beats him in every single category except for build. Hogan just had this gigantic man build, just a a superhuman godlike build. Flair, I mean, he was, don't get me wrong, definitely built, but he was not godlike in the way he looked. He, He was more of a, just a big, strong athlete. And uh, I think the Ric Flair easily, nobody in, has, and nobody in professional wrestling who's somebody says Hulk Hogan is the best of all time or is their favorite wrestler of all time. Nobody says that because it's not the case. He might be the, the greatest game changer of all time or the greatest gimmick of all time, but Ric Flair is one of those guys going to ritual. You watch a Hulk Hogan match. Hulk Hogan had ritual in his match. It was like four moves, and it was just you know, boot kick, leg drop hand to the ear, you get the idea. And I'm not shooting on Hogan here, I'm just saying, I mean, I guess I kind of am, but I'm saying that Ric Flair, his ritual was this theatrical, amazing match that drug you in and, and had so many twists and twists and turns and the, the flare chop and the slam from the top rope and everything the guy did had you locked in because he, he knew how to ga- captivate an audience. And when I say the, the work hard part of Ric Flair, like this guy works hard. He played a million times harder, blew all of his money, but still made money again, you know? And I think that's another one of those things like where he, he, he spent so much money on like that limousine. He would pay $30,000 for every robe that he had. He had everything was top notch, getting the suites, you know, whenever he stayed at the hotel in each town. And you think about that, like it's one of those things you got to spend money to make money. Ric Flair's fine because he's the greatest of all time because people are going to, he's always going to be able to make money once you've built that for yourself, once you've made that life for yourself, where you've become a commodity, a brand. Ric Flair is a brand. Professional wrestling is not, did not make Ric Flair, right? I mean, technically, yes, without that outlet, maybe he wouldn't be the nature boy that we all know and love today, but he stood alone. He was one of those guys that, stood by himself and that was proved whenever Vince did bring him over to WWF after Jim Hurd made him cut his hair Jim Hurd wanted to change him to Spartacus change his gimmick and and give him an earring and 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 that's when Flair got depressed and he bailed went to WWF and that was proved there Vince McMahon never brings anybody from the outside in and gives them the world title Vince McMahon never brings anybody in from the outside and lets them win the Royal Rumble. And Ric Flair was, I, I can't think of anybody else on that list. Dusty Rhodes, absolutely not. Um, anybody from WCW that he brought over, except for maybe like Jericho, 
um, and a few Benoit Guerrero, those guys. He put those guys over, but he they came in and had to prove themselves. Flair came in the man, and he went out the man because he is the man. He is the man. Like when he says to be the man, you've got to beat the man. Ric Flair is the man. When you think of an alpha male, you think of Ric Flair. But the cool thing about him is he's actually very sensitive. And the cool thing about him is, is he was always very giving. He was always very willing to lay down in the ring and take the pin because he knew what was best for business. He was not in there for what was best for himself because I feel like Ric Flair didn't need the win or the loss. He was always he he was always he was the first ever and always the bad good guy. He almost never was a good guy, but you just loved him because he was so cool. Like he knew how to do it. He was the man. He still is the man. And I think he was like when you think of Stone Cold Steve Austin as a guy who when Stone Cold was at his peak was a bad good guy. He was technically a bad guy. But people love the hell out of him. Ric Flair was that before Stone Cold was that, before The Rock was that, before anybody did that. Flair was doing it in, ni- in the 1970s, in the 1980s, tearing down houses, just blowing people away. And when he played harder, that's why he lasted so long. That's why the plane wreck didn't take him down. That's why Jim Hurd making him cut his hair and, and he admits that he got depressed for a while didn't bring him down because he never left the thing that he loved and he never lost the skill and the ability. Other people were trying to tear him down. And, and as a sensitive guy myself, I respect the sensitivity that he has and the willingness to not be the guy who's going over and the fans are standing up and going crazy for. The guy who would be the other guy who gets beat up, who pleads to not get hit in the face, who, you know, turns into this giant wimp. People were on Flair's side in those situations. People loved Ric Flair in those situations. And that to be that guy, to be the giving guy who is willing to help other people and understand that helping other people is only going to help you. And this goes for any industry. That's why I'm talking about this like as if, you know, Ric Flair, you can apply him to anything that happens, any business, any lifestyle, whatever. Ric Flair's one of those guys, like you look at him, think about that. Think about it, your job. You know, I think about with myself in radio, um, and it's been historic in radio for people try to, trying to hold others down because, you know, they don't want them to take their shine or anything. If you have something unique, nobody can take that from you. So the more people you help bring up, yeah, they might emulate you. You're emulating somebody. What, did you totally create what you're doing? Do you think Ric Flair did? Ric Flair, the Nature Boy gimmick, was Buddy Rogers. And uh, a promoter came to him. It might have been Vern Gagne, I forget. Came to him and said, hey man, uh, why don't you be the Nature Boy Ric Flair? Because, you know, this is the Nature Boy Buddy Rogers. He's done. They didn't even ask Buddy Rogers if he could do the gimmick. He just did it. Luckily, him and Buddy ended up being cool with it. But Ric Flair originally wanted to be Ramblin' Ricky Rhodes, which would have been, uh, you know, an ode to Dusty Rhodes. And they were like, well, you're not Dusty Rhodes, you're, Rick Fl- you're not Ricky Rhodes, you're Ric Flair. You know, and, and they gave him this gimmick. And, and that's kind of funny the way that, that happens because I always imagine Ric Flair with this uber confidence that he just picked that gimmick. He's like, you know what, Buddy Rogers is done with Nature Boy. I'm going to be that and I'm the man. I'm Ric Flair. The robes, it, I'm going to mimic what he did, but I'm going to make it better. It's just like Da Vinci says, and, and Steve Jobs stole it from Da Vinci, good artists copy, 
great artist steal. Ric Flair stole, made it his own, and made it better than it had ever been before, and better than it ever will be again. Let's be honest. It can't be top- it can't be topped at this point. I can't see it happening. But when Rick went out there, he played hard. He played up to the fans hard. He had fun on the microphone. He had fun traveling town to town in the limousine. He had fun being the center of attention. He had fun with all the beautiful women, beautiful suits. Always had the great thing to say. Always partying late into the night. Always drinking, getting down. That's what Ric Flair did. He played harder than he worked. But that made him work harder because it was play. You know, I hear, I, for some reason, I'm hearing that Wiz Khalifa song in my head. Work hard, play hard. But it's true, man, because when you're doing that and you're, like, and, and you're wrapped up in something that is so much fun, imagine being a professional wrestler in the 80s and it being that much fun. Like, you are just the man. And people are just losing their minds over you and you're setting every single town you go to on fire. Nobody's doing that. In professional wrestling. Nobody's doing that in boxing. Nobody's doing that in MMA. I'm just going to say it, man. Nobody does that in the NFL. There's not a person that can go to each spot in the country and set that place on fire with what you do mono e mono inside of a ring or what you do on the microphone, right? I don't think there's any... Um, musician out there... I mean, musicians would be the comparison, right? Those, those are the kind of guys that go... A, go to a place and set the place on fire every town that they're in. And uh, I don't think wrestling even has it anymore. Wrestling doesn't go to every town and set it on fire. They don't have that guy anymore that goes to a town and set it on, set, set, sets it on fire. John Cena doesn't do that. He's always a mixed reaction. He's a mixed bag. Stone Cold and The Rock, when they are there, they do it. But I think Ric Flair's an anomaly. And especially because he was big before things became televised. Not even the internet. Screw that. We're going back to when TV was just on locally and they didn't have national wrestling yet. Until Vince did that and bought all the territories up, it it wasn't like that. And that was a different era. And that's the reason why I think Flair will never be copied. And that's the reason why I think Flair needs to be studied because you didn't have the outlet. You didn't have that one outlet to make you a Hulk Hogan. You had to do it bit by bit, spot by spot. So think about your career. Think about what you're doing. Think about your life. That's like the slight edge, man. That's working one day at a time, one night at a time. Every day you wake up and you realize, or maybe you don't realize, you just have this burning desire inside of you that that won't let you stop. Either way, you know that down the road, this is going to turn into something. And I should say, even if, even if you don't know down the road, it will turn into something because you're working day to day at it. That's where I'm at with this podcast, man. That's why I'm talking about this stuff, because I look at these people that, uh, that I might think to myself, this guy is, is an inspiration. And some people might not look at them like that. They might kind of brush it off. But you've got to dive deep into these sorts of things because uh, you look at a guy like Ric Flair and you look at greatness, And I don't think you look at greatness in professional wrestling. You look at greatness in humanity as a human. Like the accomplishments and the power, the ability to work hard because you are engulfed in something that you love so damn much. And it's proof, you know, that adversity will push you forward. If you you let it, it will defeat you. But if you don't, it will make you stronger. I think that's the thing, right? The plane crash. He could have let it defeat him. He could have gotten out of wrestling and gone and done whatever with his life, but he persevered and it made him stronger. 
I don't even understand that. Not even fully recovering eight months after a severe back, you know, back breaking from a plane crash, and he's back in the ring doing it. Then you look at him having to cut his hair in WCW and uh, the whole way through the 90s with WCW, even until they folded. Ric Flair was the guy who got buried. He got dumped on, man. Because then when Bischoff and the the NWO took over, Flair wasn't cool anymore. But Flair would have been. They didn't realize it. The horseman, Ric Flair. I mean, that is something that uh, for him to come back and go to WWE then and do what he did and retire with Shawn Michaels and WrestleMania 24 and just have a great run as his final run and then he went to TNA and he had some fun there even though TNA is terrible and then he comes back in the Hall of Fame and and now he's doing a podcast the the guy has fun with what he does and he he pushed through it and look where he is now look at the support he got you know look at the love that he gets that's because he just kept going and that's another thing it's like just keep going don't stop and I think Ric Flair was the kind of guy who was like I don't think he ever thought of stopping. I mean, maybe there were points, there probably were, where he was like, I should give this up. But he didn't. And that's why we talk about him today. And financially, the guy's been broke like many of times. He almost went bankrupt right before the Hall of Fame, I think, with his wife. It's like $800,000 that he owed to her for a divorce, you know, some ridiculous stuff like that. And um, he pulled through the financial situation, made the money back, and he's going strong again because he because he built that respect through all those years. That at 66 years old, he could do anything he wanted, and you know the WWE could fire him like that's, that's happened a couple of times, and he can get reprimanded or whatever's going to happen, dude. There's always going to be a spot for Ric Flair, and I have a life regret actually. There's uh, local wrestling shows here at the city I live in, Altoona, Pennsylvania. The Jaffa Shrine had a uh, Big Time Wrestling is the company. This was a couple of years ago. Flair was here for a show. I was out of town. All my wrestling friends, who were, were all buddies, were all out of town for some reason, doing whatever together, or I forget. Um, but Ric Flair was there, and it turned out afterwards that Ric Flair was at the, a local bar drinking all night and hanging out. We could have gone and partied with him, man, and that's a life regret, but you think about that. That was probably Ric Flair at 64 years old. After a show, goes to a bar by himself, sits down, gets a beer, and people just come over and start talking to him, and there you have it. Boom. There's your play hard. Like, it's he loves it so much that he's probably addicted to it as a serious drug, right? And he was never a druggie. He said, just drinking. Drinking and women. And he can drink and... He can handle the ladies. So uh, mad respect to Ric Flair. Mad respect to that dude because I don't, I don't really think that uh, anybody can ever match the amazingness of Ric Flair. How, how amazing that the character, the life, the, and the character is the person. They're all one and the same. And it really comes down to steal and make it yours. Take that thing that you love to do, turn it into your thing, and then do it. And and just don't stop doing it. And do it and don't stop with deep passion and love. You know, even when times get tough, you're like, well, I still have that thing. Imagine if your job is that thing instead of the thing that you have. And maybe your life is awesome. I don't don't know. But I, I think of myself, like I've had many jobs where, you know, I worked at a subway, I uh, just worked at a racquetball club, like just stupid things. You know, you people just have jobs, like desk jobs, where they just they sit around, and you know, it, you can't fall back on that if you're sad. That's actually going to make you more sad. So do what you can today 
to get yourself out of that situation? What could you do? How could you make your life fun? How could you spend your time making money doing something that's fun that you love? Because then anytime you're sad, anytime you're bummed, the thing you can fall back on is the thing that also pays you. So then therefore, it's a lot more difficult to be sad, right? It's a lot more difficult to not enjoy your life or not wake up with a smile on your face because then you're enjoying what you do. And I'm not saying that's an easy task at all. But if you have something that you really love, there is without a doubt a way that you can figure out how to make money from that thing. That's your own journey and that's my own journey. But I just know from a a standpoint of looking at a guy like Ric Flair, I know there are millions of people in the world who thought, man, I'd love to be a professional wrestler. That was me at a young age, you know, in my teens and my, you know, before I was even in junior high thinking that kind of stuff. But it is possible because people do it and anything is possible because anybody can do anything. They just have to really, you have to be one million percent dedicated to making it happen and you can make it happen. Look at Wim Hof. The dude can get, climb to the peak of Mount Everest in his underwear. If you don't believe in the story of Wim Hof, that's W-I-M-H-O-F, first and last name. Watch his episode on Joe Rogan's podcast or listen to it. And the Vice documentary, The Iceman. I mean, he, he's one of those guys. It's proof. Ric Flair is proof. They're, they're in that elite category. Arnold Schwarzenegger's proof. You can do anything. You know, um, Mark Cuban is proof. You can do anything. nothing's impossible you just have to love it and dedicate yourself to it so there are my lessons from Ric Flair the nature boy the greatest of all time the nature boy Ric Flair not just stealing wheeling dealing limousine riding jet flying son of a gun So I'm just going to throw gratitude out to anybody who checked this podcast out because you're probably a wrestling fan. And you know what? If you're not a wrestling fan, then uh, you're even more awesome because you stuck through like to understand how Ric Flair can signify any kind of greatness in this world. So thank you, man. But thank you to wrestling fans because uh, I'm glad to be one. And I, I, I've been ashamed to be one many times in my life. And I'm, you know, with these podcasts, it's like, what the hell, man? Just wrestle probs. Like, I'm just going to talk about wrestling because that's, that's the fun thing to do. That's what I want to do. So shout out to you. And uh, if you have anything you want to say on these podcasts, do you want to talk wrestling? Like, do you have something you want to say? What are your life lessons from Ric Flair, man? I'd love to know. That's so cool. Like, let me know what they are. Let me know what you think or somebody out there who's influential to you. It's Facebook and Instagram, Rob Z Radio. Twitter and Snapchat, Rob Z Yo. And you can also say whatever you want to me at robzradio.com. Good luck to you.